السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد Welcome back to what is the launch of Quranic Progression Year 2 I hope you all had a long enjoyable summer uh, the break that we had and for those of you that did take the exam last week Jazakallah khair for taking the exam the exam is an important part of what we're trying to do here because it is something which inshallah will help you revise and refresh and remember the the knowledge that was given and the information that we've all learned in the tafsir that we've studied and going ahead inshallah it's something which gets us back into the tafsir mode right ready for year two inshallah ta'ala for those of you that deferred the exam weren't able to take the exam last week you have one final opportunity this weekend coming so inshallah on this weekend you'll have that opportunity to do so for those of you that did take the exam uh, last <coughs> weekend uh, you weren't able to go and access your results in terms of seeing what were the correct and incorrect answers and where you went right and where you went wrong. So inshallah that's something which we're, um, which will be available also this weekend. So if you've taken the exam and you want to go back and check your paper and see where you, maybe you, you went wrong or the errors that you made and so on, you'll inshallah be able to do that also from this weekend. However, for those of you who haven't taken the exam, I would uh, encourage you inshallah this weekend to take that deferred exam. And then inshallah next week we'll go through like, um, you know, some of the some of those questions inshallah i think there were like 50 questions so we probably can't do all of them but we'll go through um we'll go through some of them inshallah and we'll you know we'll go over like a brief recap so onwards and upwards we come to the next surah in our tafsir and that is the tafsir of surah quraish and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this surah and this is a a makki surah according to the vast majority of the scholars of islam it has a number of names by which it is known Imam Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, and he calls it Surah Al-Ilafi Quraysh, using the first verse. And as we mentioned last year, this is a very common uh, way in which the scholars of tafsir speak about surahs. They will often refer to surahs using the first verse, or using a part of the first verse, if that first verse is very long. So this is one of those examples, Surah Al-Ilafi Quraysh, and it is mentioned by this name, meaning it is mentioned as narrations using this name, the Ilafi Quraysh, and a number of the famous scholars were the past and companions, not least of them Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhum, that he would refer to this surah as Surah Li Ilafi Quraysh, and is also reported as narrated on him by Imam al-Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah ta'ala, and Imam al-Zuhri, Imam al-Zuhri, rahimahullah that they would refer to this surah as surah li-ilafi Quraysh. The other name that it's also known by is surah li-ilafi. So just taking the first word of the first verse. And the third name that it is known by is surah Quraysh. And that's probably in our times the most common and the most famous name that this surah is referred to, surah Quraysh. So it has three names, the full verse, li-ilafi Quraysh, the first word of the verse, li-ilafi, and then the final word of that verse, Surah Quraysh. It is a Makki Surah in the opinion of the vast majority of the scholars of Islam, Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma, Ikrima, Al-Hassan, Qatada, and from the scholars of Tafsir, Ibn Kathir, Al-Baghawi, Al-Suyuti, and others, they said that it is a Makki Surah, meaning that it was revealed before Hijrah, revealed before the Hijrah. 
Al-Imam Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, he said, There is no difference of opinion that this surah is Makki. However, it is mentioned on some of the scholars of tafsir, like Al-Dahak and Al-Kalbi, that they said that the surah was a Madani surah. So those two scholars of tafsir, it is reported on them that they said that it is a Madani surah. But the vast majority of the scholars, and as we've heard, some of them even said it is ijma', a point of agreement and consensus, that the surah is Makki, and that seems to be the strongest of the opinions, and Allah Azza wa knows best. It consists of four ayahs, as we know, and it is the only surah in the Qur'an that in which a tribe is named, in which a tribe is named. There is no other part of the Qur'an, no other surah or verse in which the name of a tribe is given. So the name of nations is mentioned, like Ad and Thamud and Madian and Bani Israel and so on. But the names of tribes are not mentioned in the Qur'an except for the tribe of Quraysh in this surah. And that is to show, obviously, the importance of Quraysh and its status and its virtue in this religion. And also to show the Prophet ﷺ's status as well because he comes from the tribe of Quraysh. In the hadith of Ummu Hani bin Talib, radiyallahu anha, she is the sister of Ali radiyallahu an, that the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, faddalallahu Qurayshan bisab'i khilal. Allah azza wa jal gave virtue, superiority, preference to Quraysh by seven things. Number one, anni minhum, that I am from them. So Allah gave virtue and status to Quraysh that he made me from them, number one. Number two, وَأَنَّ النُّبُوَّةَ فِيهِمْ And that he placed prophethood within them, meaning that the Prophet wasallam. number one, that he is from Quraysh, number two, that he became a prophet and that prophethood therefore is with them. Number three, الْحِجَابَةَ وَالسِّقَايَةَ الْحِجَابَةُ وَالسِّقَايَةُ فِيهِمْ Three and four, الْحِجَابَةَ and السِّقَايَةَ are amongst them. What is hijaba? Anyone know? And the Siqaya. What were the Quraysh famous for? Poetry. Sorry? Poetry? No. No. The Arabs were all famous for poetry. But what were Quraysh known for? Hospitality. Okay, hospitality and more specifically, what type of hospitality? Yeah. So what's Siqaya? Siqaya is to water the pilgrims. Right? is the prayer that we seek when, right? Seek water. Siqaya is watering the pilgrims. And this was the role given to the family of the Prophet ﷺ, Banu Hashim and Banu Muttalib. They were the people who were responsible amongst Quraysh in providing water for the pilgrims. And I think last year we mentioned the story of uh, Abdul Muttalib and how he discovered Zamzam and so on. So, did we? Yes. I just made that up. No, we did. We did not? We did. We did. Okay, we did. Alhamdulillah. Anyway, so it's there somewhere in those 50-odd videos last year. So the so siqaya was given to the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That's siqaya. What is hijaba? Al-hijaba. What does that refer to? It's also similar in, this, in the same kind of line of thinking. Sheltering. Sorry? Sheltering. Sheltering, no. It's also something to do with the Kaaba and the Hajj and so on. Tijara, no, not business. Hijaba refers to looking after the Haram, the Kaaba. So the upkeeping of the Kaaba and the opening of the Kaaba and all of that stuff, right? And that's why in the Hadith, 
And the Prophet وسلم, when he conquered Mecca and he called Uthman ibn Talha. Uthman ibn Talha was who? No, no. Uthman ibn Talha is the man who held the key from which tribe, which clan of Quraysh? Banu? Banu? No. Banu Shayba. Banu Shayba. Banu Shayba is the clan that was responsible for holding the keys of the, the Kaaba, right? And it is also known by another name as Sadana. Sadanatul Bayt, right? Sadana is the people who hold the key of the Kaaba. So the Prophet ﷺ called Uthman ibn Talha and he had the keys. He took the keys from him because he obviously went and emptied the Kaaba out of its idols and so on. And the Prophet ﷺ also prayed in the Kaaba. And whilst he had the keys in his hands, Al-Abbas and the people had gathered, all of them had gathered, the Muslims and the non-Muslims, Quraysh had gathered around the Prophet ﷺ. The uncle Al-Abbas, and Ali ibn Abi Talib, both of them came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, O Messenger of Allah, let us be from those who only, not only have the siqaya, but we have the hijaba as well. Meaning give to us not only the honor of watering the pilgrims, but give us the honor of the upkeep of the Kaaba. Right? Because Quraysh, this is how their different families and their clans knew their status and their superiority. And the two highest positions were, were, were these two positions. right? The people who used to have the siqaya and used to have the hijaba. The people who had the upkeep of the Kaaba and the people who would give watering, water to the pilgrims and they would feed the pilgrims. So they said, and this is the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ and his son-in-law, his first cousin, they come to him and they say, O Messenger of Allah, make the siqaya and the hijaba amongst us. Give it both to us. The Prophet ﷺ called Uthman ibn Talha. And Uthman ibn Talha, by the way, is the same man who before the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina in the early days of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ came to him one day and asked him for the keys of the Kaaba so that he could go and pray inside the Kaaba. And it was the custom of that time that if one of the Quraysh asked for the key, they would open the door for someone from Quraysh. If you were outside of Quraysh, you weren't able to go and request the key of the Kaaba and go and pray. But for the Quraysh, this was something which they used to do. They used to open the key, the door of the Kaaba so someone could go in and pray. The Prophet ﷺ asked him to do so and he said, no. He said, no, I refuse. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, perhaps a day will come when I will have the key in my hand and I will give it to whomsoever I please. And the Prophet ﷺ, uh, Uthman ibn Talha said to the Prophet ﷺ, if such a day ever occurs, it will be the most humiliating of days. Right? It's the worst of days. He's a non-Muslim and this is like the early days of Islam. That's like the worst of days. If that ever happens, that the keys are in your hand, you choose who to give it to, it will be one of the worst days. The Prophet ﷺ said, no, but rather it will be one of the most honorable days. So many years later, this is what's taking place. Right? The Prophet ﷺ now has the keys. Uthman ibn Talha has no power, has no influence, has no right to demand the keys back. The Prophet ﷺ called him and he said, bani talida, la minkum illa Take it, O family of Banu Shayba, forever, for eternity. No one will take it from you except an oppressor. So he gave the key back to Uthman ibn Talha and to keep in his family of Banu Shayba. And that is why from that time until today, that key has descended from generation to generation in the same tribe of Banu Shayba, in the same descendants of that same family. Even in our time today, the key is held by the eldest member of that family. 
the eldest member of that family and when he passes away it is given to the next eldest member and that's why when the Saudi government you know they, when they open up the Kaaba to clean it or someone comes to pray in it they ask them to bring the key and they open the door of the Kaaba for them so that is something which has lasted from that statement of the Prophet ﷺ, no one will remove it from you except a zalim, except someone who is an oppressor. So the point is that this is the hadith, right? The Prophet ﷺ is saying that Quraysh were given seven uh, special attributes. Number one, that I am from them. Number two, that prophethood is from them. Number three, that they have the upkeep of the Kaaba. Number four, that they water the pilgrims. Number five, that Allah gave them victory over the army of the elephants. That's number five. Number six, and that they worshipped Allah in a period of history for 10 years at a time when no one else worshipped him. Only they worshipped Allah Azza wa Jal. And number 10, and that Allah revealed about them a surah in the Quran. Number seven, sorry. And that Allah revealed about them a surah in the Quran. And then the Prophet ﷺ recited this surah, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Li'ilafi Quraysh, Ilafihim Nihlat al Shita'i was Saif, Falyabudu Rabba Hadal Bayt, Alladi Atamahum min Ju'im wa Amanahum min Khuf. This hadith is collected in Al Tabarani and Al Hakim in his Mustadrak. And Imam Al Hakim said that it is authentic, but this is a uh, hadith, one of those hadith that the scholars differed greatly over. Al-Hafidh al-Iraqi said that it is Hassan, Shaykh al-Albani said that it is Hassan, but other scholars like Imam al-Dhahabi and others said that it is extremely weak. Right? And Imam al-Dhahabi said about one of the narrators of this hadith, the narrator is known for saying things which are manakir, which are rejected. And he said this hadith is from those examples. So there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars as to the authenticity or lack thereof, but as we said a number of those scholars said that it is a hadith which is acceptable, it is Hassan. The point of this hadith either way is to show that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave certain virtues to the people of Quraysh. Not least of them is this virtue. And that Allah azza wa mentions them by name in the Quran whereas no other tribe is mentioned in that way in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the interesting discussions that the scholars of tafsir have concerning this surah is whether this surah is a surah that is independent of the surah that is before it. Or whether there are two surahs, whether there are two surahs independent of each other, or whether they are one surah and those two surahs are actually one, right? And even though today it's not really a debate anymore because you know we kind of like know that there are two surahs, but in the time of the companions and the salaf, it was something which was uh, debated by them. So the surah, obviously, that we're referring to before is which one? Suratul Fil, right? The surah of the elephant. And there is no doubt, as a number of the scholars have mentioned, that thematically the two surahs have a very close relationship. Because Surah Al-Fir is a surah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Allah saving Quraysh and the Kaaba and Mecca from the army of the elephant. Right? And that's one of the great blessings that Allah bestowed upon the people of Quraysh. And then in Surah Quraysh, Allah speaks about further blessings that he gave to the tribe of Quraysh. So no doubt there is a close link between the two surahs. So even those scholars, and they are the majority of the scholars who said that there are two independent surahs, right? There are two independent surahs. Surah Al-Fil is a surah in its own right, and Surah Quraysh is a surah in its own right. There is no doubt they are thematically, in terms of content and message, and the, the theme that is discussed, they are extremely close. Both of them have an overlap. 
So it is reported that some of the companions and some of the scholars of the past used to say that they are one surah. From those companions is the famous companion and the scholar of the Quran, Ubay ibn Ka'ab. Ubay ibn Ka'ab used to, it is said that in his mushaf that he kept for himself, there was no fasil, there was no basmala, there was no bismillah rahman rahim between the two surahs and he would consider them to be one. And Sufyan ibn Uyayna, rahimahullah, is one of the famous scholars of the past. He said, كَانَ لَنَا إِمَامٌ لَا يَفْصِلُ بَيْنَهُمَا We used to have an imam who when he would recite, he wouldn't separate between the two. When they say separate between the two, what does that mean? How do you separate? With the basmala. Right? So when they say there's no separation, what's he saying? He's saying, فَجَعَلَكُمْ كَعَصْفٍ مَأْكُولٍ لِإِلَافِ قُرَيْشٍ Whereas if you were to separate, what would you say? فَجَعَلَهُمْ كَعَصْفٍ مَأْكُولٍ Bismillahirrahmanirrahim So he says that we used to have an imam who would read them together and he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't uh, separate between them. Amr ibn Maymun rahimahullah said that we prayed Salina al-Maghrib khalfa Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu an faqara'a fi al-Ula wa al-Tini wa al-Zaytun wa fi al-Thaniya alam tara kayfa wa li-ilafi Quraysh We prayed behind Umar radiyallahu an and he re- recited in the first verse Surah al-Tin and in the second surah, he recited Surah Fil and Quraysh. And so they use this as an evidence to say what? That Umar considered them to be one surah. But on closer inspection and further analysis, just because you read two surahs in one rak'ah, does that mean that you consider them to be one surah? Abdurrahman ibn Awf. He read Surah Asr or was it Kota? Yeah. I don't know. I know he read like Surah Asr or Surah Kota, one of them. But whether he read uh, two surahs, I don't know. And I will think that at that time you were trying to shorten the prayer, not prolong it even more. No, because that's what I remember. That's why I thought. Okay. Well, that's something worth, worth checking. So, um, so, but just because someone reads two surahs in one rak'ah doesn't necessarily mean that they consider it to be one surah, right? Because the Prophet ﷺ often used to read more than one surah in a single rak'ah, right? It's mentioned that he read Baqarah, Ali Imran, and Nisa in one rak'ah, right? And all scholars said that they are all one surah. However, it's something which, you know, which some of the scholars, um, which some of the scholars mention. However, the vast majority of the scholars say that they are two surahs. And what they base this upon is وَبَيْنَهُمَا فَاصِلٌ فِي مُصْحَفِ الْإِمَامِ That there is a fasil, there is a basmala, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in the Mus'haf al-Imam. What is the Mus'haf al-Imam? In the books of Tafsir, when you come across this statement, فِي مُصْحَف al-Imam. What does that mean, Mus'haf al-Imam? Mus'haf, you know what Mus'haf means, right? Mus'haf is the Qur'an. What is Mus'haf al-Imam? Who's the Mus'haf al-Imam? Uthman radiyallahu anhu. The Mus'haf al-Uthman is known as Mus'haf al-Uthman and it is known as Mus'haf al-Imam. For a bonus point, right? <laughs> not that we're doing points, but for a bonus point, why is it called Mus'haf al-Imam? Mus'haf al-Uthman, okay, is well known because Uthman radiallahu anhu asked them to compile and so on. Why Mus'haf al-Imam? Could it be because at that time there was a difference of who should be a Khalifa and whatnot, and just to make him the Imam? Who? Between the, the Farij and whatnot. Just to sort of really no, no, this is well before that, right? Uthman, Uthman became the Khalifa, there's no difference of opinion. And the Kharij is only come towards like the end of his 30 odd years of Khilafah. 
Why is it called Mus'haf al-Imam? Okay, possibly. But that's not like the... I mean, it is kind of. You're close. But that's not the reason why it's called Mus'haf al-Imam. Yeah. Uh, no, no, because when it's compiled in the time of Bakr radiallahu anhu, it's compiled in the right order. Yeah. Did you have something? No, that's what I said. Would it Are you going to say the same thing? If it was Abu Bakr, they would have called him a Siddiq, and Umar, they would have called him by the title. If Uthman, they called him the title of Imam. They were all Imams in their time. And with different titles. All right, so. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, because it is the master copy? Okay, so, I mean, those are all like things that are mentioned, but it's actually said um, that Uthman radiallahu anhu, when he asked the companions to come and gather and compile the Quran, he said to them, Ya Ashabu Muhammad, ijtami'u faktubu linnasi imama. O companions of Muhammad, gather together and write for the people an imam, meaning give them a master copy of the Quran. Right? But the word imam itself is something which he said, and so because he called it an imam, and an imam linguistically means something, something that you follow, right? Someone that you follow, and that's why the imam in salah is called the imam. And the imam, the leader of the Muslims, is called the imam. So because he used the word imam, it became known as mushaf al-imam. So this is like important because you will often find Ibn Kathir and others in the books of tafsir, they often refer to this, right? Because you found this written in mushaf al-imam. And Mus'haf al-Imam is referring to the Mus'haf al-Uthman radiallahu an because every Mus'haf subsequently that comes is copied from the Mus'haf al-Uthman radiallahu an. So therefore, more or less after the time of Uthman radiallahu an, it becomes more or less an issue of ijma'ah, right? The vast majority of the scholars have accepted that there are two separate surahs as Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala mentions at some length in his tafsir and he goes on to, uh, you know, to really like uh, support that position that there are two separate surahs. So these two surahs are two separate surahs. Surah, al, uh, surah Al-Fil and Surah Surah Quraysh. Al-Imam Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said, هذه السورة مفصول عن التي قبلها في المصحف الإمام. This surah is separated from the one that came before it in the Mus'haf al-Imam, meaning the Mus'haf Uthman radiyallahu anha, anhu, كتبوا بينهما سطر بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم. They wrote between them on a line, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, the basmala, wa in kanat muta'alliqatun bima qablaha. Even though it is closely connected to the surah that comes before it, right? So in terms of theme, message, you know, in terms of the same uh, same things that are being mentioned, it is something which is which is closely related to the surah which comes before it. So we come to the first verse. In which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لِإِلَافِ قُرَيْشِ لِإِلَافِ قُرَيْشِ And it is read in the qira'ah of Imam ibn Amir. Rahimahullah was one of the seven famous qura'ah. Right? Ibn Amir, we said, was from where? Which place? Medina. No, not from Medina. Ibn Amir. Baghdad, no. From Damascus. Ibn Amir at Dimashqi from Damascus. He reads it without the ya. So instead of li'ilafi, he reads it without the ya. How would you read it? Hmm? Not Quraysh. We're talking about li'ilafi. So without the ya, in li'ilafi, you read it li'ilafi. Li'ilafi. Right? 
So you don't read the ya. And Abu Ja'far, rahimahullah, was one of the ten, also from the ten mutawatir qiraat. And Abu Ja'far was from Medina. Abu Ja'far reads it without the ya, without the hamza. So he reads it, not li-ilafi, but li-lafi. Li-lafi. Right? And these are all, obviously, mutawatir qiraat. Right? They are all correct. So you have li-ilafi, li-ilafi, li-lafi. Right? Those are the three correct recitations of this verse. And then you have a qira'a shadha. A qira'a which isn't accepted, doesn't meet the stringent conditions of it being an acceptable recitation. But it's reported that Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma would not read it in any of those ways. But he would say, la ya'laf Quraysh. La ya'lafa Quraysh. Right? La ya'lafa Quraysh. But this is, as we said, something which, um, you know, which is a qira'a shadha, so it's not a, a correct opinion. What does it mean, the ilafi Quraysh? Right, can someone pull up like uh, Quran.com and look at the, the translations that we have? So if you look at Professor Abdul Hakim, you look at Muhsin Khan, you look at Sahih International, uh, maybe like a couple of others. For the protection of the Quraysh, Sahih International. So Sahih International says, for the protection, there you are, for the, uh, for the, for the Okay, not all of them, man. We'll be, here, we'll be here all, all day. <laughs> okay, so uh, Muhsin Khan says, it is a grace, it is a great grace and protection from Allah for the teaming of the Quraysh. Sahih International, for the accustomed security of the Quraysh. Mufti Taqi Uthmani, because of the familiarity of the Quraysh. Professor Abdul Halim, he did this to make the Quraysh feel secure. Right? So we have different translations or different wordings that have been chosen in terms of what it is. Yusuf Ali, for the covenants of security and safeguard enjoyed by the Quraysh. Can you do Pictor since you like more or less than everyone else? Where is that? For the taming of Quraysh. Okay. So the first issue is what does the lamb stand for in the Ilafi? The lamb. What is the lamb for? And there are three opinions amongst the scholars of Tafsir. Three opinions as to what the lamb is referring to. Right, what kind of lamb is this? The first opinion is that it refers to the previous verse of the last surah. The last verse of the last the previous surah. So Surah Al-Feel, the last verse is... Come on guys. I'm sure you guys read the surah in every like prayer. فَجَعَلَهُمْ كَعَصْفٍ مَأْكُولٍ Allah Azzawajal is speaking about the punishment that was given to the army of the elephants. And Allah Azzawajal mentions how they were destroyed and how they were punished. فَجَعَلَهُمْ كَعَصْفٍ مَأْكُولٍ لِإِلَافِ قُرَيْشٍ They were made, what's the translation for that? فَجَعَلَهُمْ كَعَصْفٍ مَأْكُولٍ Sorry? So he rendered them like straw eaten? Eaten up. Eaten up? Okay. So he rendered them like straw eaten up, right? Like chewed straw. Li'ilafi Quraysh for the benefit of Quraysh, right? For the security of Quraysh, for the, the blessing that he bestowed upon Quraysh. So do you understand? That's the first position amongst the scholars of Islam. The lamb, which is the four, 
refers to what is what is being mentioned in the previous surah, right? And obviously those scholars, some of them, must have probably been on the position, like Abdul Rahman ibn Zayd ibn Aslam and others, that the two surahs were perhaps connected. But Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullah, from the scholars of tafsir, also um, championed this view, that the lamb refers to the previous surah. So the two surahs are very closely connected in terms of theme. So Allah Azza wa is reminding them of the benefits that they were given, and then he says, Quraysh. This was for the benefits, for the security, for the safety of the people of Quraysh. And no doubt, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he destroys the army of the elephants, it is done as a favor and as a blessing and for the security and safety of Quraysh when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saves them. Why? Because what happens if Abraha is successful and he destroys the Kaaba and he destroys Mecca? What happens to Quraysh? Most likely, they will be weakened, number one. What else? In those days when people would come and they would destroy a city, what would happen to the people? Enslaved, Enslaved which means that they are therefore dispersed. Right? They are spread out. Right? They're no longer the people of Quraysh in Mecca. But they have now been exiled from their land or it's no longer worthy of inhabiting or it's no longer a place where they can reside. So they leave or they're enslaved and their people are killed and so on. And so they begin to spread out. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding them of that favor. So this was the opinion of Abdurrahman ibn Zayd ibn Aslam. Right? Abdurrahman ibn Zayd ibn Aslam is a famous scholar of tafsir, I think from the second or the third century, um, or the second or the third generation. Who is Aslam, his grandfather? Abdurrahman ibn Zayd ibn Aslam. Aslam is the freed slave of Umar. And Zayd ibn Aslam is the son of Aslam. Abdul Rahman ibn Zayd is his grandson. Right? So Abdul Rahman ibn Zayd ibn Aslam is a well known um, name that you will find in the books of Tafsir. And as we said, Imam al-Shawkani, Rahimahullah, also, um, also championed this view. The second opinion or the second view amongst the scholars of Tafsir, and this is the one that's mentioned by Al-Khalid ibn Ahmad, who's the famous grammarian and linguist of the Arabic language, and from the scholars of Tafsir by At-Tahir ibn Ashur, rahimahumullah, they said that the lamb refers to what comes afterwards in the surah. And that is the verse which Allah Azza wa says, فَلْيَعْبُدُوا رَبَّ هَذَا الْبَيْتِ So let them then worship the Lord of this house. So Allah Azza wa is saying that Allah has given them blessings <coughs> and safety and security. For what reason? For the security of Quraysh, right? For what? So that they can worship him. So Allah gave them these blessings so that they would be able to spend their time worshipping him subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And that's the opinion of, uh, as we said, uh, Ibn Ashur and others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir. And then you have a third opinion and it's reported that this is the opinion of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah and it is the position that Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah chooses and the one that he champions and the one that he pushes and the one that he says is the strongest of the opinions of tafsir and that is that it is ta'ajjub, a lamb to show amazement and wonder that Allah Azza wa Jal is saying li'ilafi Quraysh how amazing is the situation of Quraysh why is their situation amazing this is what the ilaf is referring to, right? And why you have differences of opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir as to what ilaf refers to. But Imam al-Tabri, rahimahullah, going back to just the lamb, that letter lamb, 
he says that it is lamut ta'ajjub and it was a common uh, way of the Arabs expressing their amazement and their wonder at something that they would add the lamb into and he mentions obviously verses of poetry and so on as they do to show that this was something common in the Arabic language that it is lamut ta'ajjub so you're not connecting it to the verse before nor are you connecting it to the verses that will come afterwards in the same surah but rather it is a lamb to show amazement and wonder at the situation of Quraysh and the blessings that Allah Azza bestowed upon them and the favors that they were granted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is lam al-ta'ajjub. Right? And this is the opinion of Al-Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala. Qala ibn Jarir rahimahullah wassawabu anna al-lam lam al-ta'ajjub ka'annahu yaqulu i'jabu li'ilafi Quraysh wa ni'mati alayhim fi thalik. So Ibn Jarir rahimahullah Tabari said, the correct opinion is that the lamb is the lamb of amazement and wonder, as if Allah Azza wa is saying, are you not amazed at the blessings that were given to Quraysh and the ilaf that, was, that was given to them? قَالَ وَذَٰلِكَ لِجْمَاعِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُمَ سُورَتَانِ مُنْفَصِلَتَانِ مُسْتَقِلَّتَانِ And that's because the scholars of Islam have agreed unanimously that these are two completely independent surahs. So he's dismissing what, which opinion? The first opinion that says that it's connected to the last verse of the previous surah. He says because that opinion is based on those two surahs being one right, and the same. However, he says that there is ijma, right, consensus amongst scholars that there are two separate surahs. Why is he saying there's consensus when we said that there were scholars who differed over this? Ubay ibn Ka'ab and others. Which position is Shaath? The one that says one Okay. Okay, so that is, it's, it's not a, yeah, it's like a rare opinion or it's like not a common opinion. Because that's what's something which was accepted by the Musaf after the time of Uthman radiallahu anhu. Once his Mus'haf is accepted by the Muslim Ummah and it's spread and that's what they consider to be the Mus'haf, then it's more or less an issue of consensus amongst the scholars of Islam. And that's why you don't really find after maybe perhaps that statement of Sufyan ibn Uyina rahimahullah and others of that time which is like, like third generation of, of Islam, you don't really find any mention of scholars who said that they were two separate surahs, right? And so they consider them to be, uh, sorry, that, that they were one single surah, but they consider them to be two separate surahs. So that's the lamb, right? So for the lamb, how many opinions do we have? Three, Three opinions. The first opinion is that it refers to? Previous the previous surah. The second opinion is that it refers to? The third verse, right? And the third opinion is that the lamb is a ta'ajjub to show amazement and to show wonder. Ilaf. What does the word ilaf mean? Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala said the word ilaf can have a couple of possible meanings. The first of them is that it comes from ta'leef. And that means that they were united. That Allah Azza wa kept Quraysh together, kept them united, kept them together as one. And Allah Azza wa therefore when he's saying li'ilafi Quraysh, he's saying for, I think that is the translation that you get for the taming of Quraysh, right? That they have always remained together as a strong family and as a strong bond, right? They have a strong bond between themselves. Why? Because that was rare in the time of Jahiliyyah, before Islam. It was rare amongst Arab tribes that they would live like the Quraysh did all together in peace and security, not fighting with one another and not fearing one another in a single location. It's rare. 
because amongst the Arabs it was common that they would fight one another, that they would have civil strife amongst one another, that sometimes even kin and kith that were from the same kind of tribes, but then they, they, they lived in the same locality, they would fight one another. And the, perhaps the famous, most famous example of this is the people of Medina, right? the Aus and the Khazraj, before the Prophet ﷺ came, were constantly fighting one another. They had civil war between them, even though both of them live in the same city. That was common amongst the Arabs. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they, they um, that Allah azza wa li'ilafi, right? He gave them, He made them united. He brought them together. And they would agree even in terms of their leaders, who they would honor, who they would respect and so on. And this is something which comes over time, over and over again. Happens, for example, before the time of the Prophet ﷺ, happens at the time of Abdul Muttalib when he discovers Zamzam, happens before that in the time of his, his, his great-grandfather um, Hashim. In those different periods of the history of Quraysh, there are potential points in which they could have dispersed, they could have fought, they could have separated, they could have disunited, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always kept them together as a single group. Allah Azza wa always kept them united under a single leadership and so on. And that was something rare in the time of Jahiliyyah, before the time of the Prophet And that's why Allah Azza wa reminds them of this favor in the Quran. And that's why the scholars said, those scholars like At-Tabari rahimahullah and others, they said that the lamb is for ta'ajjum, it's for amazement and wonder, because the situation of Quraysh is unique to them amongst the Arabs. So when Allah Azza wa is saying the ilafi Quraysh, it's not because of one incident like the feed, that's only one example of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did for them. They say that the lamb is much more general, right? much wider, much broader. It encompasses everything that Allah gave to them. And from them, is this blessing that they always kept together united as a single tribe and they never had any of that internal strife and that doesn't mean by the way they didn't have you know people competing with one another they didn't have people who tried to up each other and so on because we know that there were certain clans amongst them that always tried to better the other clans but it never led to uh, we never went so far as to lead to internal warfare and internal strife so that's the first opinion. And then he says, Rahimahullah, Sheikh Shalqiti, Rahimahullah, or it could be, Minal ilfi wa ta'awud. Or it could be from becoming accustomed to something. And that is being accustomed to, as we will mention in the second verse, Rihlat al-shita'i wa saif. The traveling that they would do for commerce and business in the summer months and in the winter months to Sham and to Yemen, and how it became easy for them. And no doubt that from the greatest blessings that Allah bestowed upon Quraysh is that Quraysh became the center of Arabia. Mecca and the Quraysh became the center of Arabia. By virtue of them having the Kaaba, the role of the Arabs honored and revered and they glorified, but also because they then became the commercial capital of the Arabian Peninsula. And that's also from the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to them and we will mention this in more detail when we come to the second verse. So what is Allah Azza wa therefore reminding them about? What is this, uh, you know, what is this ni'mah? Or what is, what is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to us that we should be amazed by? What is, what is it that, that is so wonderful about Quraysh? What is this wondrous thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to them? Some of the scholars like Ibn Abbas and others said that it is all of the ni'mas that Allah gave to them. All of the blessings that Allah bestowed upon them. And others said, like Al-Hasan al-Basri, it is the blessing of giving them the Kaaba, 
and giving them the custodianship of the Haram and the Kaaba. And others said it is this uh, ability to do commerce and trade and to travel in the months of the summer and the months of the winter to Asham and to Yemen. And no doubt, you know, to combine and reconcile between all of those opinions, they are all examples of the different blessings that Allah gave to them. And all of them come under that same banner of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's blessings that he bestowed upon them. And Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said in his tafsir that we have done this, meaning that we did what we did with the people or with the army of the elephant, we destroyed them as a blessing for Quraysh. As a blessing for Quraysh and as a favor over Quraysh. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Li'ilafi. Right, so either for the security or for the blessing or for the taming, all of those different translations that we had, all of them come to what is the meaning of the word ilaf? For the blessings that Allah bestowed and the grace that Allah Azza wa gave to Quraysh by making them safe and making them united and making them a single entity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we gave this to Quraysh. Who are Quraysh? Who are Quraysh? Quraysh is the tribe of the Prophet But where does Quraysh come from? Okay, so the nasab or the lineage of Quraysh goes back to which Prophet? Ismail salam, and therefore the Prophet Ibrahim salam, right? And from him you have all of the descendants of Quraysh. The Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim, Inna Allah astafa kinana min waladi Ismail. وَاصْطَفَى مِنْ بَنِي كِنَانَةَ قُرَيْشًا وَاصْطَفَى مِنْ قُرَيْشٍ بَنِي هَاشِمْ وَاصْطَفَانِي مِنْ بَنِي هَاشِمْ Allah chose Kinana from all of the children of Ismail. And from Kinana he chose Quraysh. And from Quraysh he chose Banu Hashim. And from Banu Hashim he chose me. And this is the hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. The question therefore is when does Quraysh begin as the tribe? Right? Obviously they go back all the way to Ibrahim and Ismail alayhi, alayhi In this hadith, the Prophet is saying from the children of Ismail, Allah chose who? Kinana. And from Kinana, he chose Quraysh. So therefore, who is Quraysh? Some of the scholars said that Quraysh is the son of Kinana and his name is An-Nadr. An-Nadr ibn Kinana. And he is known sometimes as Al-Quraysh al-Akbar. Right? The major Quraysh or the big Quraysh. Like everyone that's from the tribe of Quraysh takes back their lineage to this man, another Ibn Kinana. And that's what the Prophet is saying that Allah chose from Kinana Quraysh. Right? He chose Quraysh. So his name is another Ibn Kinana. And others said it is Fahar Ibn Malik. Fahar Ibn Malik, who is the great grandfather of the Prophet. Right? What number? 12th, his 12th, I think his 12th great-grandfather. So the 12th great-grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ is Fahr ibn Malik. Or is it 10th? 10. Right. So another ibn Kinana is number 12. Right? And Fahr ibn Malik is number 10. Fahr ibn Malik is the 10th great-grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ, And he is sometimes known as Quraysh. He is known as Quraysh, or he is known as sometimes Al-Quraysh Al-Awsat, the middle Quraysh. If Nadar ibn Kinana is the big Quraysh, he is known as the middle Quraysh. Why is he known as the middle Quraysh? He's huh? another person who is known as Quraysh. Okay, he's another person who is known as Quraysh, but why? Like, how do we reconcile between them? 
those scholars who said that al-Nadhari ibn Kinana, he is who all of Quraysh comes from. And that is the opinion, by the way, of the Jumhur, the majority of the scholars and the majority of the, of the genealogists say Quraysh comes from this man, a man by the name of al-Nadhar ibn Kinana. Others said it comes from Fahr ibn Malik, and I think that was the opinion of, I think, ibn Abdul Bar ibn Hazm, some of the scholars. And the way that you reconcile between them is that Fahr ibn Malik was the only descendant of Nadhar ibn Kinana to have children. So from his grandson's line, all of, his, all of the children come from Fahr ibn Malik. So you can reconcile in the sense that Fahr ibn Malik, everyone comes through his line anyway. So therefore, there's no real contradiction between those two <coughs> statements. Right? So that's where Quraysh begins. And this is now, we're talking about the 10th and the 12th great-grandfather of our Prophet It is said that Quraysh is obviously a big tribe. Therefore, all of the descendants of these people become Quraysh. But the Quraysh of Mecca, or the Quraysh that lived in and around the Kaaba, Right, what are known as the Quraysh al-Batha, the, 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 the city dwellers of Quraysh, they are from the descendants of Qusay ibn Kilab. Qusay ibn Kilab is the... Sixth. Sixth? Is it sixth? No, Qusay yeah. The sixth, yeah. sixth, yeah. sixth, sixth great-grandfather of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The sixth great-grandfather of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Why is he considered... And he's known as Quraysh al-Asghar, the small Quraysh. Why? Because he was the one who settled all of his family in Mecca. And he forced the other tribes that lived in Mecca that weren't from his family, meaning from his part of Quraysh, to go to the outskirts of Mecca. He kind of pushed them out. He was the leader of his time. And it is said that during his time, he was the one that would be in charge of the upkeep of the Kaaba. And he would be in charge of the, uh, the, the watering of the pilgrims. And he was the one who was in charge of the administration and the politics. And he was the one who would have the flag of war. And everything, everything kind of came back to this one individual, Qusay ibn Kilab. Yeah, I think he's the fourth. Is he the fourth? The fourth grandfather. So you've got uh, uh, Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim ibn Abdul Manaf ibn Qusay. And then you carry on from this. So that's his fifth grandfather. So Abdul Muttalib. Abdullah, Abdul Muttalib. Hashim, Abd Manaf, and then Qusay. Right? So five generations above the Prophet So he was the one who settled in Mecca. And then Mecca, all of his family came and all of his descendants became from the descendants of Mecca. And that's why all of the Quraysh were relatives. right? They were all related to one another and they were all cousins and what have you. So Quraysh... The Prophet ﷺ mentioned a number of hadith concerning the virtues of Quraysh. We mentioned one of them in the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim that Allah chose Quraysh from the children of Ismail and Banu Hashim from Quraysh and me from Banu Hashim. And then the hadith that is collected in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, and the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha that the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he entered upon her one day, Lawla an taptara Quraysh lakhbartuha bima laha inda Allahi Azza wa Jal. Were it not that Quraysh would become arrogant, and haughty, I would tell them of their status in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I would tell them in the, of their status in the sight of Allah azza wa jalla. And know that it is part of our religion that Quraysh have a virtue and they have a certain uh, you know, position within this religion. In the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu that is collected in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, An-nasu taba'un li Quraysh fi hadha shan Muslimuhum the people are followers in Quraysh, of Quraysh in this affair. The Muslims follow the Muslims and the disbelievers follow 
the disbelievers. Meaning in which affair? The people of followers of Quraysh in this affair. No, not the religion. Because it says the Muslims follow the Muslims and non-Muslims follow the non-Muslims. In, in leadership. Right? And that's why when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, and Abu Bakr and Umar and Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah radiyallahu anhum came to the place where the Ansar were gathering and they were discussing who would take the Khilafah and they were deciding amongst themselves, you know, who's going to be the Khalifa? Is it me? Is it you? Who is it that's going to be the Khalifa? What did Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu say to them? He said that this is something which has to be in Quraysh. Right? The people will only follow the leadership of Quraysh. And that was true before Islam. Because the other Arab tribes looked up to and they revered Quraysh and so on. And that's why remember we mentioned in the, um, in the tafsir of Surah Al-Nasr when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجًا And when you see the people entering into the region of Allah in droves, in multitudes, in, in great and vast numbers, there is a narration in which it is said that the people were waiting to see what Quraysh will do. So if Quraysh enter into Islam, the people would follow them. And that's why when Quraysh were conquered and they accepted Islam in the eighth year, the following year, the ninth year, is known as Amul Wufud, the year of delegations. Because all of the different Arab tribes came from across the peninsula to the Prophet ﷺ in Medina and they gave him the Pledge of Allegiance and they accepted Islam. So that is also from the virtues of Quraysh. In another hadith, also in Bukhari and Muslim, on the authority of Ibn Umar, radiyallahu anhumah, that the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, لا يزال هذا الأمر في قريش ما بقي منه مثنان. This affair will always continue to be in Quraysh so long as there are two from amongst them, meaning the Khilafah, right? leadership and the Khilafah will stay in, in Quraysh. And that's why in Sahih Bukhari, when Uthman radiyallahu anhu was compiling the Mus'haf, and he brought Zayd ibn Thabit radiyallahu an and his two or three other companions with them. He said to them, إِذَا اَخْتَلَفْتُمْ أَنْتُمْ وَزَيْدِ بْنُ ثَابِتٍ فِي شَيْءٍ مِنْ الْقُرْآنِ فَاكْتُبُوهُ بِلِسَانِ قُرَيْشِ فَإِنَّمَا نَزَلَ بِلِسَانِهِمْ right? He has uh, Abdullah ibn Zubayr along with Zayd ibn Thabit and uh, Sa'id ibn Aas, I think, and uh, Abdurrahman ibn Harith, a number of companions, four of them. Their job is to compile the Mus'haf. Zayd ibn Thabit is from where? Which tribe? No. Yeah, from Medina. He's from the Ansar. Zaid ibn Thabit is from the Ansar, but he's one of the most knowledgeable companions concerning the Quran. And the other three are from where? From Quraysh, from Mecca. So he's saying to them, antum wa Zaid ibn Thabit, if you three and Zaid differ as to the writing of the Quran, its script, fi min al Quran, bilisani Quraysh. Then write it according to the tongue of Quraysh. Meaning that if Zayd ibn Thabit says one thing, you three say another thing, you differ, write it the way that you would write it amongst Quraysh. Because the Quran was revealed amongst Quraysh. Meaning it was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ who is from Quraysh. Right? And that is also in Sahih al-Bukhari and it also shows the virtue of, of this, um, you know, of this, uh, of this, of the, the tribe of Quraysh. Any questions? Abdullah ibn Zubair, 
Sorry, his first child born in Medina. Yeah, after after the Hijrah. Yes. Sorry, say that again. You say the Hadith, uh, you say text this for personal for the Tafsir, uh, for the. the Compiling of the Quran. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. From what I remember. Abdullah ibn Zubir bin Hu. Yeah, he's young. But from the time, in the time of Uthman, عن, this is in the time of Uthman, not in the time of the Prophet. Yeah, in the time of Uthman, he's not young anymore. Yeah, he's a grown man, and he's also one of the most learned companions in that time. Remember, in the time of Uthman, many of the senior companions have passed away. Yeah. Um, I have a question here from Yusuf. Why is studying the lineage of the Prophet important? It's important because you know, studying anything about the life of the Prophet is part of our study of the seerah and the life of the Prophet <coughs> and that is important. Right? It's part of our religion to learn about our Prophet to know him, to know who he is from and his parents and his lineage and his tribe and his wives and his children and everything about the Prophet it is part of our religion and it is one of the signs that show our love for our Prophet and therefore it is something which you know, we, the scholars have always done from the time of the companions until our time. Any other questions? Say that again. Why so much emphasis has been given if this, if it's a combined surah or is a different surah? How does it change our point of view about the Islam? Of it doesn't really change our point of view in terms of. Um, so the question is whether the surahs, Feel and Quraysh are one surah, a combined surah, or whether they are two separate surahs. Why is that important? Right? Why is that like such an important thing to study? It's not important in terms of, it doesn't make a practical difference to anything in terms of the Qur'an is still the Qur'an, is still the same number of verses, still everything. However, there is, you will see a difference in terms of the counting of the surahs. Because the surahs no longer then become 114, now they become 113, right? And similar to that is the difference of opinion amongst the scholars as to whether Anfal and Tawbah are one surah. Or whether they are two separate surahs. Because Tawbah has no basmala. Right? It has no basmala. There's like you know in any mushaf, it's not written in the basmala. Therefore, is it a surah along with anfal? And that's why when you hear the scholars say the sab'ut tiwal, you know when they speak about the classical way that they would uh, section the Quran, they would say that the first part of the Quran is the sab'ut tiwal, the seven long surahs. What are the seven long surahs? Baqarah, Al Imran, An Nisa, Maida, An Am. A'raf, Anfal, and Tawbah. The Sab'at Tiwal includes Tawbah. Right? And then the others only start from Hud onwards. So Anfal and Tawbah are mentioned together. And so why are they mentioned together? Are they one surah or two separate surahs? Even those scholars who say they are two separate surahs will say because there's no basmala between them, we just say that they're seven. And seven is a nice number amongst the Arabs. They like the number seven. So they said the several tiwal. So there is a difference of opinion over some surahs. So you will find differences of opinion over these issues in classical works. However, you know, after a certain period in history, the Muslim ummah more or less agreed. Like today, if you were to ask any Muslim how many surahs in the Quran, you'll get one standard answer, which is 114. 
right? Just as there is a difference of opinion among scholars uh, and in the different qira'at as to the number of verses in the Qur'an. Right? Because if you go to the different qira'at, they have stops where in other surahs you don't have stops. Right? And we mentioned this, did we mention this? I don't know if we mentioned this. In Surah Fatiha, did we mention this? Yeah, very briefly, we touched upon this, right? So, is the basmala, when we spoke about the basmala, right? Is the basmala a verse of Surah of so because we know the hadith says how many verses in Surah Fatiha? Seven. Seven. Right? Seven is the seven of repeated verses. So they have to be seven. So if you include the basmala within that, then where did, how do you do the seven? Right? So some of them will say Siratal is one verse. And others who don't include the basmala will say Siratal It's a verse. is another verse. So you have these differences. You know, and this is like one of those sciences, is called the science of counting the number of verses. And you'll find, you know, like in, in the classical works of Quranic studies and the and the sciences of the Quran, this is something which they would pay attention to. Right? And that's why if you go to the Mus'haf of Medina, you know, the Mus'haf that they print in Saudi Arabia, um, and you go to the back, I don't, I don't know if they have one here, but if you go to the back of the Mus'haf, they have like those three, four pages in Arabic. That speak about how they, they, you know, they, the work that they did in making sure that the Quran is authentic and it's done in the way that's correct, according to all of the scholars of Tafsir and all of these different sciences of Quran, and they will mention that these are the different sciences that we looked at, including Adul Ay and Rasam and Dabt, which was script and Qiraat and all of those different sciences of the Quran, which have now become rare forms of study. They mention all of them because it is part and parcel of making sure that the Mus'haf is authentic and it's correct and it's done in the way that Uthman radiyallahu an united the Ummah upon. Any other questions? What time is Isha? Quarter past. So you know, so the question is the last verse uh, or the first verse of Surah Al-Nahl and the, and the previous verse of the Surah Al-Hijr, وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ Worship your Lord until certainty comes to you. And then Allah says, أَتَأَمُلُ اللَّهِ The command of Allah has come. Is there not a connection between them? This is also another, you know, like another uh, discussion amongst the scholars of the the order of the surahs of the Quran. Is it tawqifi? Or is it ijtihadi? Meaning, are the ordering of the surahs of the Qur'an, was it something dictated by the Prophet Or was it something which the companions did later on by ijtihad? No doubt that those that tertib, that ordering of the surahs now has become an issue of ijma', right? The ummah has accepted this and it's become an issue of consensus. But who put the ordering of the surahs in that way? Was it something which the Prophet did? And you have those scholars who say, yes, it's from the Prophet ﷺ in that last year when Jibreel ﷺ came in Ramadan and revised the Qur'an twice with the Prophet ﷺ. He gave him the ordering of the surahs and he told him which verses go in which surahs and so on. So the Qur'an was complete from beginning to end during that final year of the Prophet's life. And therefore, he's the one who puts that tartib. And so one of the other sciences of the Qur'an is something called ilmul munasabat. Munasabat means the science of relationship. The relationship between different surahs and the relationship between different verses within a surah. 
Why does when Allah change from one theme to another, one story to another, what is the connection between that? What is the connection between Baqarah and Ali Imran? Ali Imran and Nisa, Nisa and Ma'idah. How do they all continue? Those scholars who say therefore that there is this science in Munasabat and that the, the ordering of the surahs is tawqifi, it's something which the Prophet did, they will tell you that this is the reason why. Right? So this is the connection between Surah Al-Hijr and Surah Al-Nahl, between Surah Feed and Surah Quraysh. Right? And sometimes it's very obvious, like Surah Feed and Quraysh is a very obvious connection. Surah Falaq al-Nas, as we mentioned, is a slightly obvious connection. But other times it's not so clear, and it's not so easy to make that connection. And other scholars said no, it's something which the companions did. And there are some scholars who don't even really hold uh, the science of Munasabat to be a real science of the Qur'an. Right? They consider it more to be you know, con- a form of contemplation of the Qur'an, but it's not really a science because it's not something which you know, comes from uh, that time of, of the Prophet Either way, you know, that's like a whole different discussion. But there is no doubt that there are, you know, especially in some of the ordering of these surahs, there is a clear connection in terms of theme and in terms of moving on from one to another. And if you look at some of those works of, of Munasabat and how different surahs relate to different surahs, you will find you know, it's amazing in terms of, even if you just say it's contemplation of the Qur'an, it is amazing to understand the connection or to see how those scholars made connections between these different surahs. And Allah knows best. Okay. And Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, said, and we're still speaking about um, Quraysh here, in, in the first verse. Imam Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, mentions uh, what Quraysh means. What is the meaning of the word Quraysh? Right? What does it mean and where does it come from? He said, He said that they differed over the reason why Quraysh is called Quraysh and what it refers to. He said the first of them, those opinions, is that they, because of them being united, because of them being united, they were called Quraysh because At-Taqarrush in the Arabic language means to be united. So Quraysh comes from the word Taqarrush which means to be united. And therefore they were known as Quraysh because they were constantly united. The second opinion is لِأَنَّهُمْ كَانُوا تُجَّارًا يَأْكُلُونَ مِنْ مَكَاسِبِهِمْ Because they were known to be businessmen, trading people, who used to eat from the wealth that they would and from their trade. And at-taqarrush at-takassub. And from the meanings of Quraysh, or at-taqarrush is to earn, right? To make money from business. So they became known as Quraysh. And this was the opinion of Al-Farra from the, from the linguists who said that it was because of their trade that they became known and their business dealings that they became known as Quraysh. The third opinion, it is said because from the root word of Quraysh is the meaning of searching, right, searching. And that's because when the people of Hajj used to come for Hajj, they would search them. Right? One of the practices of Quraysh in the Hajj was that if you were a person who came from outside of Mecca, outside of Quraysh, and you came into Mecca, you had to pay to buy new cloth from the haram that you would dress yourself in in order to make tawaf. Right, this was one of the practices that they had. So if you came from outside of Mecca and you came into Mecca, like today when we go for ihram, right? you go to Mecca, you perform umrah, you wear ihram. In their time, their version of that, I suppose, was that if you come from outside of Mecca, you must buy clothing from Mecca, from them, 
new clothing that you wear yourself, you drape yourself with, and then you go and make tawaf. However, as we know, the vast majority of Arabs were what? Were poor. Right? They would have only one, you know, like one set of clothing that they would use for years. They weren't people who used to buy new clothes on Eid and whatever. They didn't have the wealth, they didn't have money. Most of them were extremely poor. And many of them, even in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, after Islam, only used to have one sheet that they would cover themselves with. So they would use it as an izar, as a lower robe, and they often didn't have anything to cover the top of themselves with, right? The, the upper robe or the top robe. They didn't have any clothing for their chest and their shoulders. And that's because of how poor they were, uh, the Muslims as well, after Islam. But before Islam, many of them were also poor. So when they said that we can't afford to buy clothing from you, to buy cloth, and to make tawaf in it, what was their answer? To make tawaf naked. If you can't buy it from us, and that's where the tawaf <coughs> naked comes from. Comes from this. Comes from this stringent condition that they placed upon them. So one of the things it is said that they used to do when people used to come to Mecca is that they would search them to see if they have the wealth to which to buy new cloth or if they have new cloth with them that they bought that they could go and make, make tawaf with. And this was, by the way, one of the ways, and you know the hadith that we mentioned, the Prophet ﷺ said, were not that Quraysh would become haughty and arrogant, I would tell them of their position in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It comes from this kind of stuff because the Quraysh became arrogant and proud because of their position of being the custodians of the Kaaba and the Haram. So for example, when the people used to go to Arafah, right, to make in Hajj, when they would go to Arafah, the Quraysh would refuse to go to Arafah. And they would say, because Arafah is outside of the Haram boundary, only the non-Qurashis, the people that have come from outside of the Haram, have to go to Arafah. As for us, we are the people of the Haram, so we only need to stay in the Haram. Right? And that's why when the Prophet ﷺ made the Hajj, what did he call Arafah? He called it the greatest pillar of Hajj. Right? Al-Hajju Arafah. Hajj is Arafah. To show how you know, incorrect their, their, their understanding was of the Hajj. So they, they had these practices and it was to show that they are better, right? It is said, for example, that the Kaaba in its original form was at ground level, right? Because the, Quran, the Kaaba today is raised, right? Obviously the door is raised and, you know, if you want to go in, they have these mobile steps and stair, staircase that they bring out. They attach it to the doorway and they climb the stairs to get into the Kaaba. It is said it is the Quraysh who raised the floor of the Kaaba. In the time of Ibrahim salam, in the early days, the Kaaba was at ground level. Right, only slightly raised, like a step or so. It wasn't something which you had to go and climb a whole staircase to get up to. But the Quraysh did that to stop others from entering into the Kaaba without their permission. They raised it so that others couldn't just come in and walk into the Kaaba when they wanted because this is our honor, it belongs to us, we are Quraysh. So they had these types of, you know, this type of thinking that led them to certain, you know, um, haughtiness and pride and arrogance that they displayed. So this was an example of that. And one of the things that they would do is when people come for Hajj or for Umrah from outside of the Haram, from outside of Mecca, they're not from Quraysh, they would force them to buy new cloth. And in the vast majority of cases when they could not, and they didn't have the wealth to be able to do so, they would tell them to make the tawaf naked. And that's why it is said the Prophet ﷺ, when Hajj was obligated in the ninth year of the Hijrah, he chose not to go in the first year. Instead he sent Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and then later on he sent Ali radiallahu anhu with additional information, additional, you know, like um, rulings and so on, to eradicate these practices of jahiliyyah. 
Otherwise, if the Prophet is doing it, people may become confused. They don't know what is Islam, not Islam. They still have practices of pre-Islam going on during the Hajj period. So Abu Bakr was sent radiallahu an, and he was made the leader of the Hajj that first year, and he stopped all of those practices. And he told the people, you can't make tawaf naked. And he destroyed the idols and he destroyed their practices and so on and so forth. And then the following year, in the 10th year of the Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ went himself and he made the tawaf. Uh, he made the hajj. So this is the third opinion, right? That it was because of this searching. And this is also from the meanings of the root word of Quraysh. And therefore, it is, uh, it, that was the reason. The fourth opinion is what is reported uh, that Muawiyah radiallahu anhu asked Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu ma lima summiyat Quraysh Qurayshah why was Quraysh called Quraysh and he said it's because of a sea animal a predator in the sea that is known as the strongest predator in the sea it eats and, and, and beats everything that comes into it before it ta'kulu wa la tu'kal it eats and it is not eaten ta'lu wa la tu'la and it is the one that always wins and it is never beaten. And because Quraysh became the premier tribe amongst the Arabs, they were the ones who were considered the most honorable and everything else. They became known as the Quraysh and that name was taken from that sea animal. What that sea animal is, I honestly don't know if it's referring to a shark or a whale or something else. I'm not quite sure exactly what it's referring to. But it's said that that's what it is referring to and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Okay, I think we'll stop there inshallah ta'ala. I have a question here about the numbering of ayat. Is there any difference of opinion about numbering those at the end of Surah Ali Imran? Ibn Abbas said that the Prophet recited the last 10 ayat when he woke up for Salah at night and this refers to the last 11 or is this rounded down or a manner of, of, of speech? That's something which I'll have to go back and check. I'm not quite sure from the top of my head. But there is no doubt that there is a difference amongst the scholars concerning the uh, number of verses of certain surahs, not every surah, but certain surahs of the Quran. And insha'Allah, our class uh, timings, insha'Allah, next week we're at the same time now? So next week, Maghrib is going to be around like 7.20ish, maybe. So then the class will start about 20 minutes after. So 7.40, oh actually it's, it's online. 7.40 next week, and then 7.20, and then 7.05. Um, and then and then it goes and changes time in October. So inshallah we'll be back next week. Any questions before we conclude? Okay, Zakumullah Khairam, Sallallahu Alaihi Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.